Hey, we're grateful that you're here today. If you're new, a special welcome. We love having new people. New people is really a, a, a blessing to us because it challenges us. Are we on a mission of loving the world? That's really what God has challenged us. Are we doing our, our job, loving people, inviting them to a kingdom-based church? A kingdom-based church means we are trying to grow the kingdom of God. We aren't trying to grow this little kingdom called Journey. We are trying to impact the world so that more people know about Jesus and the kingdom in itself grows. That's the kingdom approach to, to ministry. You know, I was thinking about this, and I have these things going on in my head, a lot of crazy stuff going on in my head, a couple of good things, and here's one of the things. I'm thinking about church, and I've been challenging my head, what is church? And I've got this whole thing that I've been writing about church, and we have changed church in the last 30 years more dramatically than we could ever know. We've made it about sugarcoating Christianity. We've made it easy that all people can come and that we're always going to be happy and it's going to be so fruitful and easy. That's just not what the text says. We've also made it about, man, if I can just fill this head full of knowledge, I will know everything and then at some point my life will get better. Here's the thing. The more I know and the less that I do, the worse my life gets. It's not about knowledge. Look at Corinthians chapter 1. It doesn't talk about wisdom and knowledge. It talks about having a heart change for the glory of Jesus and your life start to live that out. It's not about man's doctrine and what man makes church. It's about having God residing in your heart through Jesus Christ. Journeys made this decision a long time ago that we were going to put real life faith in action. We weren't going to try and teach over people's heads. We were going to try and teach right into the sweet spot where there would be daily application and show people how to live a life for the glory of God because that's what church is about. If I or Jeremy or someone talks to you about head knowledge, it's not going to build your life in the way that God wants. It's going to build Pharisees. We don't need Pharisees. We don't need religiosity we need that relationship, and I'm glad you're here because I believe that's what God is doing. We are doing this series called In Transit. We are in transit, and here's kind of the mindset. We are going from this place, from our head to our heart. Our head all has all kinds of weird things going on, and our heart is a place that God wants to reside. The Bible says the heart is wicked, and it needs purification. We put Jesus in our heart, and over time that heart gets right. And then we wash that head knowledge through our heart and we start following. So one of the ways we are in transit is from our head to our heart. Another way is this world has this sucking effect. And it's pulling us backwards. And we are in transit from this world to God. We are in transit moving away from this world and into God. There's an old hymn. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. We are in transit. And finally, the one that I really like is, I'm here today, but I'm on a pathway to heaven. I'm heading directly to heaven. And that could be today. That could be in 40 years. I don't know. But I'm here, and I'm heading to heaven. What do I do as I'm in transit, as I'm in process? And that's really what we've been going through the last few weeks. David writes in one of his psalms, Psalms 32, it's been our memory verse for the last four weeks. Today is our closing uh, in transit uh, message. And he says this. He says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. That's God speaking. He says, I will guide you along the best pathway with your life 
for your life, and I will advise you, and I will watch over you. When we are in transit, God wants to guide, he wants to watch, and he wants to advise. The challenge is, do you want any of that? Do you want God to be a part of your life? If you haven't been here the last few weeks, we have a, a great website, and there's a bunch of messages, and we have an app. You go to Journey the Church Camarillo in your uh, Apple or your Google, and uh, you will find that app, and you'll find a bunch of messages. But kind of here's that rundown of, of what's happened. The first week, we talked about the Apostle Paul being on the road to Damascus. He was on this road, and he was on a journey to destroy Christianity and Christians. That's what his mindset was when he woke up. And what happened was he had a, a, a perspective change. Through that moment of blindness, through that vision of Jesus, through a revelation, all of a sudden, he recognized God for who he was. And he had a perspective change. When we are in life and we are in transit, we need to recognize who God is. We need to look at a perspective of who God is and how he changes us and transforms us. And the Apostle Paul had that awesome transition where I'm going to kill Christians and ultimately he had to die to himself. And rise up Christ as a banner in his life. And then lived it out. And three days later after he was, he was, he was uh, born again, he started preaching. I believe in Jesus now. No more world. No more religion. I have this relationship. And the following week, we put up this, this happy face emoji, and we put stickers on everybody, and I had this tattoo on my hand, and it was this happy face emoji. And the, and the thing that I remember about that message the most was Psalm 42.5 is this place where the psalmist is challenging us to preach to yourself every day. It says, Psalm 42.5, something like this. Why are you so sad? Why are you so downtrodden? Why are you so frustrated? Jeff, you need to put your hope in God because he's Lord and Savior. Preach to yourself that God is hopeful and you will have a relationship that will transform you. I see a lady over there super excited about Jesus. Thanks for coming today, ma'am. And then the following week, we had these rocks, these God rocks, and we put them all up on stage, and my wife and, and my daughter and, uh, and, and uh, Stephanie put them up here, and they put God on them. And the challenge was, as we were in transit, we were talking about the Israelites going from one side of the Jordan River into the other side, uh, into the promised land, that these rocks had a meaning. And God gave us four principles in that story. And the principles were, first of all, you have to follow God at all costs. Secondly, purify yourself. The Jewish people purified themselves by washing them clothes in their hands. But we purify ourselves through Jesus Christ. The more we cling to him, the more we know him, the more we are purified. And the last two principles were make Jesus the center of your everyday life. And take this rock. And we gave a bunch of people rocks and they all come up. And there's some out in the front at the men and women's tables. Take these rocks and make them uh, uh, the center of who you are. And remember every day that God is for you and not against you. And then last week we did this series about being a masterpiece. And there was a powerful poem. We read it and it was actually Kate put a video together with some of the poem. And then we talked about the most valuable masterpiece on earth was a Vincent uh, 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 Da Vinci painting of Jesus. It's about 400, uh, $450 million dollars. But I think the most important part of the masterpiece was the application at the end. I don't know if you guys did it. I know one did. She texted me and said, man, I did this application and I'm a masterpiece. And there was this place about talking about our, our identity. This is what we're talking about, church. That if you take a little bit of time to do some application, 
She was blown away. So congratulations, Christy. Thanks for doing that. We will put this up again, your identity in Jesus Christ, because all of you are masterpieces. And in that, you will find a different person than the person that you believe you are. And God wants to challenge you. Today, as we close the sermon series, I want to get our fight on. And I've got some Rocky Balboa gloves here to kind of put the image on. We are a church that wants to use image. And today, I want you to remember these boxing gloves. By the end of the message, it will make sense. Because today, we're going to talk about what do we do as we are in transit? We need to fight. We need to have a faith that fights, and that's the challenge. Christians are in this never-ending struggle against evil. And it's not this military fight. It's not this physical fight. It's a spiritual fight. So how do we fight? At the end of his journey in life, the apostle Paul writes to a young man named Timothy. And he's challenging him, and he says these words. Right before he's about ready to die, he writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I remained faithful. There in that sentence, there's so much for us to unpack. And we're going to use that verse to kind of help form this message today as we look at the Jericho walls come tumbling down. In this message, I have fought the good fight. This word, agonizomai, is this word, I have fought. And it literally means to engage in conflict. To engage in conflict. And, and the word is used in like an athlete competing or engaging in this military conflict. Now, I don't know if you guys know my sister. She's an awesome woman. She's currently right now running a triathlon that she's been preparing for. She's currently right now in Carpinteria, hopefully not drowning in the ocean portion of the section. But she's been training, and that's what we're talking about here, competing. And when, when an athlete competes, it's not really the physical part that's the struggle. It's the internal part. I got to get up today and train again. I got to do something inside of me. I don't want to train. My knee hurts. My head hurts. It's going to be long. It's going to be cold. But the athlete that perseveres is one that has fought and said, I'm not going to let that hold me back. Yeah, it's five, and yeah, it's cold, but I'm going to get up and compete. Today we got three clear, I want to talk to you about faith that fights. I want you to remember that our faith needs to fight. And there's three components to faith that fights. The first one is you got to be motivated to finish. We are all going to finish one way or the other. Are you going to finish strong or are you going to finish meek and weak? We have to have a faith that's motivated to finish. The second faith that fights, it's not a passive fight. A lot of times, men especially get to church and are like, oh, i got to turn the other cheek. And, oh, I've just got to love people and accept them. And I've got to do all this stuff. But truthfully, it's not a passive walk. It's, it's a place that we have to fight. And maybe the fight is different than what you think. And I hopefully you'll see that today. But you got to have this faith that fight that's not passive. And the last one is you have to fight spiritually. And hopefully you'll understand that when we leave. So the first faith that fights is it's motivated to finish. And I'm going to put these down or they're going to choke me. Motivated to finish, to cross the line, to complete the race. 
This kind, of, this kind of fighting is contending for your faith. Your faith has to have contention. At some point in your life, there's got to be a rub in your life to say, is my faith more valuable than this world and the things that I want in this world? And there's some contending here. And that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about. We are contending for a, a, an eternity perspective and having an eternity life. It's not about winning or, or working to place ourselves in heaven, but it's about contending. We have to have this pit bull mentality. You know what a pit bull does? It has this jaw that's hard to to, uh, dislodge. And this pit bull clamps on and you are to fight like that so you never let go. You have to have this pit bull mentality. The enemy wants to trip you up, cause you to fail and not cross the finish line. But we need to understand the apostle Paul is challenging us. We need to cross the finish line. Here's what it says. You may see me struggle, but you'll never see me quit. If the Apostle Paul was tweeting today, he would wake up saying, I'm fighting the good fight today. You've seen me struggle. You know that I've been struggling and contending, but my faith is strong, and I'm not going to quit. I'm excited. There's two people here. There's coffee out there, so go grab some and come back. The Apostle Paul had this pit bull mentality of faith. He's got, I've got faith in God, and I'm contending, and I'm going to fight for what's good in my life. I'm going to fight for the gospel, even if it puts me in prison and in jail and ultimately to death. That's pretty manly. But we sure don't preach it, and we sure don't live that manly life today. We sure don't fight the way that, that, that we're supposed to fight. Tim, uh, he's writing to this young man, I have fought this good fight. Now, in this, there's two images that we really see. First of all, you have this boxer mentality. I love these. This reminds me of the old Rocky movie. And, uh, you know, red, white, and blue and the boxer. At one point, we have this boxer. And this boxer has two goals in mind. He's getting into the ring. And here's the two things. And this is the exact thing that the Apostle Paul is challenging us. The first thing is... My first goal as a boxer is I'm going to be standing when the last bell rings. I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight in this last bell. The second thing is I'm going to give more than I have received. That's the goal. Think about Christianity. At the end of my life, I'm going to go right into the arms of Jesus and I'm going to stand when the last bell rings. And the second thing is that I'm going to give more than I receive so that when I'm in heaven, they're going to get to you and they'll say, well done. You fought the good fight. You have a faith that is fought, and now you will be honored because of that. The second image is this track athlete, and they have two similar goals. The first goal is that they just want to complete the race. I can think my sister, we were talking about doing this triathlon. I'm like, what's your goal? And she goes, just to complete it, and hopefully not to be the last person as they're closing the track, right? And that's like, okay, girl, you got to get off. It's time. The second goal of any track athlete, no matter if they're great or not, is they want to win. They might not win, but you go into it going, well, I'm going to run the race to win, even if it doesn't win. Here's another quote that I found. It's kind of an anonymous quote. I like this. I says, I will win, not immediately, but definitely. That's Christianity. One day I'm going to win. I might not win today, but one day if I have this faith that fights, I will win. Not today maybe, not immediately, but I will definitely win. That's what we're talking about, a faith that fights and is motivated to finish. The second faith that fights, it's not this passive fight. It's a real faith fight. 
It's got to have some get up and go. It's got to have this mindset. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall down, but I'm still going to get back up. Listen to what uh, the Crystal Cathedral pastor, the guy, he's retired now, now his son's doing it. But here's what Robert Schroeder says. Tough times never last, but tough people do. Those that are fighting and have this mentality of I'm going to fight for my faith and I'm going to fight so that my faith works says tough, pe- tough times are going to uh, not last, tough people do. Today we're going to talk about the walls of Jericho and we're going to use that to kind of help us understand this uh, Faith that fights in in a non-passive way. And I think at the end of this, you're going to see the way that we fight is way different than what we think. Here's what Hebrews 11.30 sums up this whole Jericho walls come tumbling down song that we learned in Sunday school. Here's what it says. Hebrews 11.30. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. It's by this faith that was fighting for the promised land and what God had for them that by faith... They walked around and they shouted and then the walls come tumbling down. And we're going to go to Joshua chapter 6 in just a second to talk about this. As we get into this mindset of watching the Jericho walls come tumbling down, the Israelites faced three choices. They had three choices today. And here's what it says. First of all, go in and defeat Jericho and pass into the promised land. That's choice number one. The second choice is to join Jericho and assimilate to their culture. And you'll see in just a few minutes when we talk about Jericho, that's not a culture that you would want to assimilate to. And number three, just wander in the wilderness and die, distant and apart from God. And that's nothing that we want to do. In life, we have freedom in Jesus Christ. In life, we have this blessing that comes from above. And are you willing to fight and sing that yes and amen song? Forever faithful? Or are you just going to let things wander around in your life? We have this promise. Will you take it? Or are you just going to assimilate or live in this barren relationship with God? Today, we're going to talk about... uh, We're going to use this verse to kind of read through to help us understand uh, about faith that fights. And we're going to use the story of Jericho. But here's kind of the story. Taylor Hudson kind of writes this about faith as we get into the story. Here's what Taylor Hudson or Hudson Taylor writes. He says, unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. When we don't risk things, when we don't have nothing in the game, there's really no reason to have faith. And there's really no reason for us to seek God out. We have to make sure that we have this faith that fights. So today I want to kind of look about, there's a map that we had. If you remember the map a couple weeks ago, we were crossing over the Jordan River. That Jordan River is uh, the crossing, then they camped at Gilgal. Now we've been at Gilgal, and now we're getting ready to take into the promised land, Joshua chapter 6. Now, also today we're going to talk about the walls come tumbling down. There's a, here I have a picture of a, a simulated walls. This is what Jericho would look like back in that day. There was two sets of walls that came tumbling down. There was this first level and the second level. And so that's kind of what we're looking at as we tell the story. So if you're able to stand today, what we do at this church is we stand and we read the word of God and we make it part of our life and watch God work powerfully. Here's what it says. Joshua chapter 6, verse 15, uh, 1 through 5, sorry. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once for 
once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark and carry the ram's horn. On the seventh day, you, uh, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give the long blast on the ram's horn, all the people will shout as loud as they can, and the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge uh, straight into the town. At this moment, let's just stop and pray. You've been listening for a while, and now you have to ask God, Lord, do I have a faith, a strong faith, and is it one that fights? Ask yourself more about what God is doing, and ask him to speak boldly to you right now. I think the close of the message is going to kind of blow some of us away on how we are to fight. So, Father, we come before you today, and we seek you out. We ask, Lord, is my faith real and is it worth fighting for? And can you help me have a faith that fights to finish and to not be passive and to fight spiritually, Father? Lord, show us something through this message and through the scriptures that we have today so that I can grow to become a better person for your kingdom, to be stronger in my faith and to live out all that you have for me and to accept the promises and share them with other people. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated. So this story really kind of goes from Joshua chapter 6, 1 to 20, and a little bit in chapter 5. But I'm going to paraphrase the next seven or eight verses just so uh, I can get to an important part about Jericho. So Joshua, and, and, and the part that I'm paraphrasing are just the marching orders. It basically reiterates what God told Joshua. Joshua then calls all the people and says, hey, the Lord has told us, take the ark and the ram's horn and march. So after Joshua spoke, the priests and the people went around the town and they marched. And they were told not to speak, not to, shop, not to talk, not to anything, but just go around day one and march. And at the end of the day, they came back and everybody spent the night in the camp. The next morning, Joshua gets up and says, hey, let's do it again. The same exact thing. And that's repeated for six days. Now, I did that because I want to talk to you a little bit about Jericho and this civilization or this society or this, this place called Jericho before we get to the walls come tumbling down. First of all, I've got this mosaic. I don't know if you guys know this, but Jericho is the oldest city in the world. It's got ancestry up to 10,000 years old. I think we have a picture of a mosaic that kind of commemorates this is the oldest city. It's got history and, 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 and archaeology of 10,000 years. Not only is it the oldest city in earth, it happens to be the lowest in sea level. In, in, uh, if you think about it, it's 260 meters below sea level. For us Americans, that's 853 feet below sea level. If you look to the Dead Sea, I've been and floated in the Dead Sea. If you look to the Dead Sea and you go a little bit farther down, the Dead Sea at its lowest spot that we can be on is 423 meters. For us Americans, it's 1,388 feet below sea level. The Israelites are going from this place that's the lowest place on earth to Jerusalem, which happens to be on a, on, on a, a ridge, which 2,000 feet above sea level. So this is a pretty high ascension, but there's something important here that's more than meets the eye. Jericho in itself, ancient Jericho, was considered an abomination. And here's why. They worshiped demons, which uh, resulted in religious prostitution and human slash child sacrifices. It was an evil place. It makes Vegas look like Disneyland. 
Vegas compared to Jericho would be the happiest place on earth. Jericho was considered the most vile and lowest form of morality on earth. Not only was it the lowest place on earth, it was the lowest morality. Now, I was actually listening to someone on TV. I'm not going to tell you who it was. You can figure it out. But he was on TV. He's not, a, he's not a believer, and he has a show. And there was this Christian man and him talking, and he was like, you believe in a God that believes in genocide. And the guy didn't really know what to say. God's not a God of genocide. I want to explain this to you. God did not come into Jericho and want this destruction because he's like a, a zealous God that wants this town. It's like, I like this property. I'm like Ahab the king. I'm going to take it because I want it. You know what God's doing in Jericho? He's bringing redemption. He's taking evil people and all the things that have happened, and he's redeeming God's people because of this destruction. And he only saves Rahab's family because they were the one righteous family that knew God and had fear of God and wanted to help God. God didn't destroy towns just because he's a mean God. He didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because he just like, well, I got nothing to do today. The place was vile. God was redeeming. And here, we're going to see this redemption. Verse 15, on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn. And they marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they ran around the town seven times. The seventh time around, the priests sounded a long blast from their horns. Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you this town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. So the horn blasts, and he says, now is our time. Everybody shout. And he gives one more instruction. He says, don't take any of the things that were set apart for destruction, or you yourself will be completely destroyed. You will bring trouble upon the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into the treasury. And now... As the people shout, the walls of Jericho come tumbling. Verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the horn, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They physically went in and they actually did some stuff. But the battle that was done wasn't a passive battle, but really was a spiritual battle. They did a bunch of preparation for seven days for the battle to be won. God did all the heavy lifting. It basically said in the text, all you guys have got to do is go in and pick up the plunder. Because the city's going to be destroyed and people are going to be fleeing. And there was complete redemption because of this. It was not a passive fight, but it was a spiritual battle. We need to have a faith that fights, not passively, but we need to fight spiritually. And I want to spend the next... 15 minutes talking about that because I think this is exactly what God wanted me to speak to. So I really hope these next 15 minutes mean a lot as you're thinking about a faith that fights. Hopefully this really makes sense. The third part of uh, this component of faith that fights is we need to fight our spiritual battles in spiritual ways. Think about uh, what it would look like to a child that, uh, that watched their parents wander in, in the um, desert for 40 years. As a parent myself, and if I was in the desert wandering, I'm going to tell my kid, listen, 
we made a huge mistake 20 years ago or 30 years ago. You need to be faithful and fight for what you believe because God is for us. We made a mistake and we chose not to go into the promised land. I want you to be obedient and faithful no matter what so that you don't have to spend 40 years in the desert like I did. Think about their parents training these kids. You're going to do whatever the Lord says. Because you will be able to live in the promised land. Don't be disobedient like us. Have this spiritual, have this faith that fights, but do it in a spiritual way. The victory over Jericho was guaranteed, but it wasn't automatic. A lot of times we think, hey, I can just sing a few songs, yes and amen, and I win all the battles automatically. We have a part in it. We have to have faith that fights. We have a part in it. We have to put our spiritual boxing gloves on and fight the good fight, the Apostle Paul says. The reason why these people won is they followed God's instructions. If you remember back in the summer, I said, be obedience, exact obedience brings success. But great, uh, uh, powerful obedience, exact 100% obedience brings miracles. Here, these people did exact obediently, uh, uh, they followed the rules exactly, and they had this great victory. We as Christians must follow that as well, so that in our own life, our own Jericho walls will come, become tumbling down. So what does Jericho represent to Christians today? What is the spiritual representation? Jericho represents this, the greatest stumbling block between you and God. Something that's holding you back. Something that's kind of got you separated. You believe and, and you love and you have a devotion. But there's this one thing or there's this group of things that are, that are together that are holding me back. And today we're to look at this story in Jericho and say, where do my walls need to come tumbling down? Every person has their own spiritual Jericho. And that's why we use this story because we need to defeat them to have this right relationship, this life to the fullest, life to the abundance. John 10, I always wonder, what is life to the abundance? Well, it's when your walls are down and you've opened yourself up and you fought a good fight, you will have a life to the fullness of God. The Bible records this battle that Israel fought in Jericho and it contains powerful messages and principles for Christians during the time of warfare. I don't know if you realize this, but as Christians today, we are struggling in a battle against an enemy. We call him Satan. It's a spiritual battle. And I don't know if you guys believe this or not. I believe it 100% that there's an enemy out there and he's contending for your soul. And he wants to draw you into this lowest place on earth, this abyss. And Christ wants to pull you out of the mud and mire. And build you up and set you up and make your life right. If you fight and are willing to fight, your life will see the glory of God. Here's what Paul writes. If you remember Ephesians a couple weeks ago, we talked last weekend about Ephesians. Ephesians is teaching Christians the treasures of life. Here's the end of Ephesians. The apostle Paul is writing. And here's one of the treasure principles. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are not doing a physical fight. I'm not going to get out there and start beating the smack out of some of you. I was going to say something else, but I didn't want to do that today. It's not about physical people. We are not battling against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in darkness, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We aren't fighting people. The battle that needs to be won needs to be done spiritually. And most of us aren't spiritually equipped, and so we don't fight a spiritual battle. And because of that, we wander around and never experience all that God has. 
Does anybody have a cell phone? Really? Everybody's got cell phones. Back in the day, you'd say that and everything. It would be about 50-50. Just 10 years ago. Today, everyone has it. Is anybody's cell phone under 10%? My girls, like, if they get under 50, they start freaking out. Oh, my gosh, we're at 43%. we got to get some juice. Think about living your life with your cell phone at 1% or 2% every day. Going, am I going to get that call or am I going to make the call when I need it? Most of us fight this spiritual battle and have 1% or 2% in our faith really working for us. And 99% is just plugging in and fighting this spiritual battle. Satan wants to keep growing Christians from enjoying spiritual blessings. In Christ, he is taking growing Christians, Satan, and he's trying to destroy everything that they want, seek, kill, and destroy all that they value because that's his job. But we have these blessings that we need to grow in, which are love and joy and peace. Rest. If you're weary and tired, rest. God wants to give us rest. Satan wants to destroy your rest. God wants to give you freedom and freedom to the fullness. But most of us live in this bound up, wound up life, barely experiencing any freedom. He wants to give us hope, a hope in God that will take us out of this darkness. He wants to bring us security and live in his promises and have this intimate relationship. Or he wants to give you a place of forgiveness, a place of freedom from depression or addiction. He wants to let you live in these promised lands. But you got to fight for it. You got to contend. You got to have something within you every day that allows you to suit up and show up for God and contend this strong battle. Satan puts up these Jericho walls in our life to keep us out of that promised land. Today as Christians, we have these walls and our job is to fight this battle so that our walls come tumbling down and we experience the glory of God in the way that makes sense. Satan has put up walls of doubt discouragement, despair, and they become major obstacles as we are in transit from here to heaven. Today, we have these obstacles. Today, other Christians need to help us walk through this place so that we can fight this spiritual battle, so that we can truly grow from God. Nelson Mandela says, it always seems impossible until it's done. Doesn't things seem impossible? You get to a place and, you know, I remember being at the park going, wouldn't it be cool if we had a building? And a couple weeks later, we had a building. Then wouldn't it be cool that we actually had money coming in? At one point, it seemed impossible. We were so afraid to take an offering. It's like, what are people going to think if we take an offering? And today, you know, God has done great things, and we're excited about what God has done. Barriers seem insurmountable, but here's the thing. Satan laughs at your barriers. Satan laughs as we cringe in fear and, and, and despair and we are content living in this wilderness. Satan is laughing because he's like, these people don't realize the power of God. And all he has to do is, is say something and Satan flees. But most of us stay in this place and we never really get what God has for us. In transit, we must fight this spiritual fight. A faith that fights. What is your spiritual Jericho? What keeps you from having this whole relationship with God? Just like the Israelites, you have three choices. Remove whatever stands you between God. Remove that. Take those walls of Jericho and break them down. Or assimilate, give whatever uh, stands between you, give into it. Live in this Jericho world. 
and never really have that beautiful life with God. Those that stand up and contend and have this faith that fights live a different life. And they become attractive to all things. The last part is just do nothing. And believe in a God, but never really experience Jesus for who he is. One of my favorite psalms is this, and, and I have an older version of it, the NASB, but here's what it says. It says, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he will get back up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. It actually says in the NLT, it says, the wicked man stumbles once and they're just done. The righteous man, they get up and they keep battling seven times because they know that the battle's won. It's my job to just get up and be a part of that faith that fights. So the question is, how should we fight? That's the thing we asked at the beginning. How do we fight? How do we fight this battle? Tim, uh, Paul, Timothy is receiving this letter and he says, I've fought this good fight. I've run this race and I have this contending faith. I have this faith that can win. So how do we do it? The answer is this. You need to fight a spiritual battle. Quit fighting physical battles. Fit, quit fighting with apologetics and, and, and internet posts. And, and, and struggling with people, fight in a spiritual way, shouting and preaching to yourself, singing and praying and thankfulness, and then repeat. Here's what it says. Listen, this is going to blow you away if you've never seen this. Here's how the Apostle Paul challenges people in Christianity to fight. Here's what it says. Colossians 3.16. I've probably read this verse more than any other verse in the Bible. It's not my favorite verse, but I believe this verse. Listen to what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's like a marinated steak. You're dwelling in it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then it says, if it's dwelling in you richly, uh, teach and admonish one another. Build each other up, it says, in wisdom. And then it says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanks and thankfulness in your heart to God. The first thing that Paul says to a church in Colossians is, listen, sing songs and hymns and praises to God and have a thankful heart and you will start fighting a better spiritual battle. But wait, there's more. If you order now, you'll get two for one. Here's what it says. Ephesians chapter 5, another treasure that we see here in this, in this sermon is this. It says, instead of being drunken and full of debauchery, it says, listen, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and then give thanks be to God for who he is, and yet he sent Jesus Christ our Son and our Savior. Once again, another message from Paul to another church is, here's how you fight a spiritual battle. It's by myself. It's in my car. It's in my shower this morning singing songs and hymns and praises and preaching to yourself. Jeff, you can do this today. Jeff, you can fight. You can stand. And you won't let the walls of Jericho hold you back one more day. Listen, there's still more. In the history of the church, in Acts chapter 16, another verse is brought to us about the same principle. Paul and Silas are in prison about midnight. Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once the doors flew open, and all, and all the chains were loose. 
When you start fighting a spiritual battle, when you start singing and praying and reading out aloud to yourself, you will start winning battles that you've never thought were winnable before. You will start winning a spiritual in a spiritual sense that your life will start to stand up and rise up and people around you go, what's different about you two? Why are you so strong in the Lord? And why am I so weak? And you're going to say, listen, I'm fighting a spiritual fight. I'm singing, I'm praising, I'm lifting up the Lord and I'm doing it by myself to win for the glory of Jesus Christ. What if all your troubles would be disappeared? What if all your troubles disappeared by the way that you worship one-on-one with God? What if it was just how you worship by yourself in your car, at your home, when nobody's home? If you just started worshiping and singing and reading out loud by yourself and all the walls started to tumble, what if that was the answer to all the problems in the earth? The Bible says that's what it is, but most of us won't plug into that and we won't fight this spiritual battle and we lose out on the power and glory of Jesus Christ. This is a very simple application, but some of us, it's so far outside of our purview, we won't do it. The Apostle Paul writes... Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. This is before he's dying, and he's, this is our challenge and our marching orders today. Fight this spiritual battle right now. Fight the good fight of faith. Take a hold of the eternal life which you were called to when you made that good confession in the presence of the witnesses. He's challenging Timothy. You remember that day you walked up to the altar and fell at the foot of Christ during that sermon? Remember that day when you said, I'll do whatever you want, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll teach and give whatever you want me to give. Remember that day and start living every day for the rest of your life fighting that same spiritual battle, and you will have great victory, Timothy. And he's telling that to the church today. Online, here, and out there. If you fight a spiritual battle and you have a faith that fights, you will have great victory in Jesus Christ. I better get off stage. The application is yours. You see the scripture. It says it over and over. We can fight our own battles. Spiritually. God set a place in your heart for worship. If it was me, I would try this for the rest of my life and see the spiritual victory that I'll have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we want victory. Father, we stand in the presence of you and who you are. We know you're here. We feel your power. We feel the spirit working in our lives. And, Lord, we want to start fighting a faith that fights and wins. Lord, teach us to be a spiritual warrior so that we can win spiritual battles and live a life in the promises of who you are. If there's someone here that doesn't know you and needs to start winning the battle of life, they can put their faith in Jesus Christ and they will experience a new life and a new me. If that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my life. Come into my soul and be my king of kings, my Lord and Savior. You died and rose again for my eternal life and I thank you for that, Lord. 
Show me more as I grow in faith. Holy Spirit, come over me right now and teach me and guide me and build me up to be a great Christian as I learn to walk in your ways from this moment forward. We claim you, Lord. In the name above all names, Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.